This is Building Resilience Podcast, episode 153, Different Kinds of Listening. Welcome to Building Resilience, a podcast where theory, practical strategies, and inspiring stories show you how to unlock your best life. I'm your host, Leah Davidson. As a certified life coach, speech-language pathologist, and nervous system resilience expert, it is my mission to teach you how to be more resilient to life's adversities. I will show you how to manage your mind, befriend your nervous system, process your emotions, and even eliminate stress. It's time to do more than just survive. It's time to thrive. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to Building Resilience Podcast. Happy to have you here. And if I am correct, this episode is going to be airing right before American Thanksgiving. So for all my American listeners, happy Thanksgiving. I know this is a season for everybody to have some appreciation and show our gratitude for everybody and everything around us. I also just want to have a quick reminder that I have another advanced training in nervous system resilience cohort starting in January. And the waitlist is open. You can get on it now. The doors for the training will open first to the waitlist at the beginning of December. I am so excited to be offering another training. The people who have taken the training have had just such amazing results, have really just blown my mind even how they have seen their personal lives change. And if they're coaches, then seeing the lives of their clients just really benefiting from the tools that they learn um, about the nervous system and that I teach in the advanced training. So get on the wait list if you are interested in that. And make sure that you're on my email list because I do have a few things up my sleeve for next year. And so you won't want to miss out on that. Now, the other day I was attending a workshop. It was given by a life coach named Katie Pulsifer. And she had presented the main points of the workshop. And she had some time left. And often what happens in these situations when you are doing workshops and you have time left or you deliberately leave time to invite somebody to come on for coaching. Well, instead of just saying who wants to come on for coaching, she actually offered three options. She offered that you could come on to just share what you felt needed to be spoken. You could have a conversation with her or you could ask for coaching. I thought it was such an interesting way of inviting people to come on to participate. I loved it. And in light of my recent podcast about the basics of listening, I wanted to dive deeper into all three of these options, at least my take on all three of the options that she gave. And actually, I have introduced a fourth option that I'm going to be talking about. I know that in my heart, I would really love it if we could always be having a conversation together on the podcast. But because this is a podcast, it's kind of more like you're just going to be listening to what I feel I want to speak. But please know that my desire is to always have a conversation with you. So I love it when you reach out and share your thoughts about each episode. So please continue to do so. Now, obviously, Katie is a coach and it was a workshop for coaches. And I love that Katie was offering it to her coaching clients, but it did get me thinking how important it is to be offering these options to everyone. So even if you're not a coach, I think these options are powerful to offer to our children, our partners, our friends, our colleagues, our peers, and essentially everyone. I know that in everyday conversations myself, 
even if I'm working with a client, I've naturally experienced it where someone has told me what they needed from me communication-wise. I've had clients, my clients, my speech pathology clients who have said, listen, I don't want to talk strategies or mindset today since that's often what we do. I just want you to listen to me. So that's what I do. And I've had times where I've offered a variation of it myself, like in my personal communication, maybe with one of my kids. I'll say something like, do you want me to be mom right now or do you want me to be a coach? And sometimes with a friend or I have some friends who are also coaches and then I will differentiate. Do you want me to be the friend or do you want me to be the coach? And in the coaching world, we talk about a concept called getting the pool with someone. It's this analogy that if you have a client that is swimming in their own story, have lots of thoughts, do you jump in the pool with them and agree with them? Do you join in the drama and get pulled into the story? Because maybe you do agree with it as well. Or do you stay outside the pool to be more objective, to ask questions, to help them gain different perspectives? And in real life, sometimes we do want someone to get in the pool with us. We want somebody to commiserate and to buy our stories, to share our passions, or our complaints. And sometimes we want a steady rock that sits outside to help us see things differently. So these are things that naturally can happen in our interactions. But I wanted to specifically go through the three options that Katie gave, because I think that all three are valuable and important. And as I said, I also have a fourth one that I want to share. But before we talk about any of them, I want to talk about safety. Because you know the nervous system is such an important part of all our conversations, all our interactions, all our coaching, all our connecting. And what allows an interaction to be the most impactful, in my opinion, is the amount of safety that there is. The challenge with safety is it is also a two-way street. We want to create safety for others to be in our space, and we want to be welcomed into places that are safe for us. And as much as we think safety is something that needs to be created outside of us or by others for us, I also think we need to create safety in ourselves. I think we need to be careful about what we're fueling ourselves with because what we fuel ourselves with makes a difference. Are we creating safety lens from which we view the world by what we're fueling ourselves with? How do we create safety? Now, there's things that we can do. And later in the episode, I'm going to share with you some language and patterns that can create or deter from safety. But essentially, if we want to invite safety into our conversations, we need to be regulated. Getting to calm, learning to be on team resilient. That is the foundation of how we create safety. Now, what happens if we're dysregulated is that we will take on the flavor of what team we're on, team hyper or team hypo. And if you want to know more about this concept, then go back and listen to episode 110 about the zones of resilience or episode 121 about the three stories that we tell. So we'll either be saying things flavored from one team or another, or we'll interpret things in that same light from one team or another. It's important for you to know your nervous system, how to befriend your nervous system, because that alone will change all your interactions. Just you being aware that you have a nervous system, that you are on a certain team, and that team flavors everything will change everything. The state of your nervous system and the state of the other person's nervous system matters as well. Now, we can try to co-regulate. We can try to model regulation. 
we can be regulated ourselves. But the other person still has their nervous system too. I've actually had some people share with me sometimes that they don't feel safe. And it's interesting because when I hear that statement, I often get defensive and write up in Team Hyper. It was a comment that I found pretty dysregulating, like I was responsible for them feeling safe or somebody else was responsible for them feeling safe. But then I realize that while it is always my goal and desire to create as much safety as possible, and often it's a goal and desire for other people to create as much safety as possible, we still are all responsible for ourselves. I can't be responsible for all the inner critic talk that you might be having that leads your nervous system to interpret danger, or perhaps it's due to your past trauma. I don't know what it is. I don't know what you're fueling yourself with either. I think of like a friend saying, oh, I don't feel safe with that other friend. When meanwhile, they've just spent the previous evening with friends where they bonded over talking about that particular friend or criticizing or gossiping about them. Of course, they don't feel safe. Now, I hear this a lot when I talk to people about divorce or when we talk about children of divorce, how they're caught in the middle. Perhaps they're told by their mother, your mother does this and your father does that. And I've witnessed with clients where one parent will argue that their child doesn't feel safe or doesn't have that relationship because they don't feel safe. When a big part of the problem is the same parent has been building up the stories and the drama, and it can have a devastating impact on the safety that the child will feel. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that bad things don't happen, that abuse doesn't happen, that there truly are some unsafe environments and that we should not worry about creating safe environments. But what I am saying is if you're an adult, you do have a big role in creating your own safety. You're not responsible for what happened to you, but you are responsible for your responses moving forward. All right. That was a bit of a tangent. I know it can be touchy, but I also know that it's possible for you to create safety. I see some amazing examples of the participants in my advanced training in nervous system resilience. As they learn about the nervous system, as they befriend their nervous system, as they learn how to identify and create safety, they are much more able to move forward and heal. They can shed the shame and the blame. They allow themselves to truly feel and grieve, and at the same time, to set healthy boundaries for themselves. So it is possible for you to create safety. But it's hard to create your own safety if your brain is always on high alert. A high alert brain will often even misread cues as being dangerous because that's the flavor they're in. So be mindful of what puts your brain on high alert and try to first introduce small moments of safety. Because safety shapes our conversations and our relationships. All right, let's go back to the three options that Katie gave. You could just share what you felt needed to be spoken. You could have a conversation or you could ask for coaching. And as I already mentioned, I'm going to modify them a little bit and introduce you to a fourth option that I see. So the first option is what I call the witnessing listening option, which is essentially the to be spoken option that Katie talked about. The second option is conversing, co-creating, discussing, which is the conversation option that Katie mentioned. The third option is coaching. And then the fourth option that I want to talk about is consulting and advice giving option. Let's dive into each one. 
The first one, the witness option. This is where I just want to be heard. I don't want feedback. I don't want your opinion. I don't want judgment. I'm not trying to persuade you or argue with you. I just want to state it. It's like what I would write in my own journal, except I'm saying it to you. And I'm looking for a compassionate witness. I'm not necessarily looking for agreement, although sometimes I can kind of sneak in there. But to keep it nice and clean, I'm just going to share. I want you to simply listen and accept. No response. Now, if any validation is provided, it's validation not that you agree with me, but just that you agree that this is my experience, that you hear me. Now, with witnessing, I think if you are wanting to be witnessed, that often you need to let your listening partner know that that's what you want. I know sometimes I'll say something to my husband, Rob, and I know he has an opinion or a perspective, and it would likely be very helpful, but I will say to him, I'm not looking for any feedback or opinion or discussion right now. I just want you to listen. This is my experience that I'm expressing. And I think you want to share that you're just looking to be witnessed because our tendency, I believe, is the next one, the conversing and discussing one. This is where there is more of a give and take. There's room to express and for the other person to express. It's more of a dialogue, asking questions to try to understand each other. Often though, what happens is one person or both people try to persuade each other. But when it's a healthy discussion, it's helping each other see different perspectives, come up with different approaches, respecting different opinions. There is a give and a take. There's an attempt to find common ground and then to expand ourselves and expand our understanding. There can be some validation in there too. We can bond over common experiences, but we can bond over differences too. This kind of listening and conversing can be an opportunity to see through someone else's lens and to witness their experience from their lens. Now, the third option is coaching. And I think with coaching, again, we need to have safety established. We essentially need to have safety established for all these options. Coaching, at least in its purest form, is not about telling someone what to do or giving them advice. It's about helping somebody access their own wisdom. It's about helping them uncover what they really think and feel. And we can do this in multiple ways. We can do this by asking questions, especially open-ended questions. What are your options? What do you think you should do? What are you making this mean? And we can do this by also telling stories to illustrate examples. Maybe somebody who was in a similar situation, or you tell a story to illustrate a certain perspective. We can also offer observations, what I've noticed, what I've seen with others, what I've watched you do in the past. And then, of course, there are different tools that you can use that can be really helpful, like the model that we often talk about or the 10-10-10 tool that I use for decision-making that I've shared in earlier podcasts. So there's a lot of exploring, acknowledging, even challenging. But in coaching, you're staying out of it. If you do have experience with it, maybe you do share a story. But generally, we stay out of the pool and we do what we call holding space which is something that I'll talk about in a minute because it's a concept that I think is also relevant for everything. So the last option is consulting and advice giving. And I was talking to my husband about this one in particular because he's been in consulting for years. I was asking him how he thinks it differs from coaching. Well, really up front, it can be similar. You're collecting information, exploring, getting curious, asking questions. You're collecting information to really understand. 
You need to be actively listening. You need to remove judgment. You need to ask questions to really understand what the wants and the needs are. And then it requires some mirroring back. Here's what I understand. Confirming that you have all the information because then in consulting and advice giving, it's based on what you understand and based on your own experience and expertise. Here's what I think you should do. Here's a plan. Here's some direct guidance. Now, obviously, when you're seeking consulting, you want to make sure you know who you're seeking it from. What is their expertise? What is their experience? What is their motivation? And when you're offering it, you truly want to make sure that they really are wanting advice. I believe that there's a role for each option. And sometimes we do need to upfront establish which option are we going for, because that can alleviate a lot of miscommunication where one person comes in wanting to be witnessed and the other person comes in offering advice. Again, it's a two-way street. What is it that you want and what is it that's expected of you? Now, I want to get back to that concept called holding space. It's kind of a coachy term. But essentially in coaching world, it means being able to listen to our clients without judgment. It's really providing a safe place for people to share. It's being able to allow them the space to explore their thoughts and feelings without your influence, opinion, or judgment. It's where you can listen to their stories without buying into their stories, which means not agreeing with them, but acknowledging their experience. I really think it comes back to providing a safe place for people to explore and land. While it's a coachy term, I think it's a great way for us to be interacting with others. Now, in coachy world, some of us have been taught that holding space involves things like minimizing our facial expressions or our language so that it does not appear that we are agreeing. So being very, very neutral. But a word of warning, if we minimize it so much, then it could be that we are sending signs and cues of danger to our clients. We want to be very careful about our neutrality. Not having an opinion does not mean we should be showing up blank or so neutral that it's uncomfortable for the speaker. We know that sometimes neutrality or sometimes blankness or being very monotone or having a flat affect is actually a cue of danger to a lot of people. Now, this lastly brings me to what language or facial expressions can we use to communicate safety? And it comes down to what is called trauma-informed communication. What does it look like? And we talked about being trauma-informed a few episodes ago, but what does it look like in terms of listening and conversing and coaching and consulting? First thing is we do this with our language, and it can often be called trauma-sensitive communication. Well, the purpose of shifting the way we communicate is always to try to promote and instill safety. If we want to witness other people's experiences in a compassionate way, in all four kinds of listening, we can do this by doing things like mirroring back what we're hearing, checking to see if we are understanding them. Here's what I'm hearing you say. Is that correct? We can also show compassion. I'm sorry you're experiencing this or have experienced this. That sounds really hard. And then letting them know that they are safe with you. I'm here to listen. I am a safe space for you. It makes sense that you feel how you feel. And then, of course, 
The next step is using our body language to indicate that we're listening. So by nodding and then even saying things like, I see, uh uh-huh, or go on to show that you are listening and following and want them to continue. Now, these things sound so basic, but it is surprising how we often miss these small signals. And of course, we want to refrain from interrupting or minimizing or comparing. We want to try to avoid judging or victim blame or being dismissive. We also want to avoid being distracted and multitasking or taking over the conversation. And of course, sometimes there are these very dismissive statements that we just use. Things like, you shouldn't feel that way, or just let go of it. Don't cry. It'll be okay. Relax. Even sometimes saying things like, time heals everything, or you're going to be okay, or this too shall pass. Some of these statements are very well-meaning, but we need to allow people the space and the time and respect what they need. We need to be a compassionate witness. And sometimes it is just listening and not saying anything other than, I'm here for you. So those are just a few things that we can do to be more trauma-informed in our communication. That is what I have for you today. As you move towards improving your listening skills, I will offer that it can be helpful to identify the kind of listening and interactions you want to do and have and the kind of listening interactions the other person wants to have. Are you there to witness? Are you there to converse and discuss? Are you there to coach? Or are you there to advise? There is a time and a place for all of them. They all require safety. So that's a given. That is something we can all work towards. And that is why it is so important that you learn about your nervous system and that you learn how to befriend your nervous system because it impacts everything that we do, including all our communication. Have a wonderful week, everyone, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about managing stress, building resilience, and leading a more purposeful life, then make sure we're connected on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter at www.leahdavidsonlifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Looking forward to connecting.